Hi, it's Jill Schlesinger. On this episode of the podcast, we're talking to an entrepreneur who found herself out on her butt. It's a really crappy place to be in when you've got meaningful money invested in a company that you have absolutely no say in. If I had have known that there was a chance that I wasn't going to be involved in the business, I would never have written that check back in. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. We are presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. So this is the program where we do provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and your life. Today, we have a wild story. Reagan Moya Jones built a $100 million business and then got kicked out. She's written a book about the experience. It's called What It Takes. Here's our interview with Reagan Moya Jones. You're listening to Jill on Money with Jill Schlesinger. Reagan Moya Jones joins us. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Okay, so we start every show with a very simple question. Okay. Best financial decision you've made in your life? Best financial decision? Probably around property. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's not starting the company? Come on. Well, that, obviously, but <laughs> I thought that was just too obvious. Okay. Yeah, that, that worked out really great for me, despite the fact that it was never about the money. It really wasn't. It really was not. You've written a book. It's called What It Takes, How I Built a $100 Million Business Against the Odds. And I read the book and it's so personal and it's very exposing. And so mm-hmm. I appreciate that vulnerability. Why did you write this book? I was approached to write the book and my initial reaction to that was no way. Like I'm, I'm not writing a business book. I have no business writing a business book. You know, I don't have a background in business. Like I, I didn't go to university. All the things came rushing into my head why it would be ridiculous for me to try and write a business book. And my now agent, who was the person who approached me about writing the book, said, no, 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 that's not the book I want you to write. I want you to tell your story. I've, I've read interviews that you've done. I think your voice is very real. And I think that there's a need for that. So when I thought more about it, I thought, well, I'm a very average person. And, I'm and, rolling my eyes, listeners. But the thing is, you're, everyone rolls their eyes, but that's only because I've accomplished what I've accomplished. So in terms of if you met me before I had built Aiden and Anae, on paper, I was less than average. You know, I had no degrees. I had no real career path. Or... Wait a minute. You were a salesperson and you I were was. a good salesperson. I was, I was always very successful in sales, but I was never taken seriously enough to be, you know, promoted within the organizations that I used to be very successful from a sales perspective at. Okay. So born in Australia, mm-hmm. bounce around, you do that weird Australian thing. Like, let me just travel the world yes, for a year or whatever. Just put on our backs right. and off we go. Let's go. Yeah. And, um, and then... And then you're in the States, right? Is this, this all starts when you were in the States and yes. you have a baby. Yes. And tell us about this product. By the way, I'm not a parent. Right. I had no idea anything about this product. But right. Mark, the producer, right. he's freaking out. He's like, oh, my God. I hope she's on good terms with the company. I want that product. Like, he loves oh, I, this I stuff. I wish I had have known. I can oh, still hook him up. He's going right, to get hooked I'll, up. I'll get, I'll get he, you sorted, Mark. all over the registry. You're all over their baby yes. registry. He and his affianced are due in weeks. 
Fantastic. That's why he looks so bad right Number now. Number one, oh, well, wait till they get here. My God, if you look bad now, you're in for a world of pain <laughs> when the baby arrives. <laughs> and it's only one and you have four. Oh, four, I know. It's a glutton for punishment. Okay, so what is the exact product that was the spark here? It was a, a blanket for all intents and purposes, and it was made of a material called muslin, which is basically an open, gauzy weave fabric. It's a big piece of fabric, 47 by 47 inches. And back home in Australia, when you have a baby, you use 10 of them a day because they're multi-purpose. You swaddle, you know, wrap the baby mm-hmm. in them, use them as stroller covers, nursing covers, you know, tummy time, all the things they're you washable. need. They're washable. Well, that's they the disposable? best part. The more you wash them, the softer they get. So they're one of those things where, you know, they really stand the test of time. But it was the combination of, I think, being the, you know, truly the right thing to use to swaddle your baby, that it was a multi-purpose product. Uh-huh. So when I tell you that every Aussie parent used 10 of them a day when they had a baby... When I went looking for them in the States, when I had an A, baby number one, I just couldn't believe that no one had ever heard of it. So I got my sister to send me over stuff from Australia. And then when I was actually using it, I just thought, oh, every Aussie can't have this wrong. And I'm sure if I introduced it to American parents, they'd respond the same way. So it was really just that blanket a 47 by 47 square piece of muslin that started it all. And you did this with somebody else to begin with, yes, right? Yes, I had a business partner, one of my best friends, and uh, yeah, that it did really badly. All right, wait a second. So first, what year did you actually start this? Had the idea for it in 2003, mm-hmm. and it took from 2003 to 2006 to sort of work out how the hell to do it. Were you working at the time? Were you I was. still doing it? So you were like, I got to make money. So this was like a side hustle, essentially, right? Yes. Okay. I, and that was a, a conscious choice on my part to stay working at my day job so that I didn't have to give up the income from that. Mm-hmm. And I, I built and ran Aiden and Nay until 2009 uh, of a night after my daughters had gone to bed. Unbelievable. And also, so you guys are working together as a side hustle for a few years. How long did that relationship last? Uh, Claudia left the business in 2008. So it was early 2008 that I got the the email from her saying, hey, I don't believe in this business anymore and set out terms of what it was going to take for her to go away. How did you feel when you got that? I was devastated, more so on a personal level because she was one of my best friends. To put it in perspective, Claudia is Jewish and her and her husband had made me the legal guardian Mm. of her children. God forbid anything Mm -hmm. happened to them. That's how close we were. Mm. So when this happened, I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, and what was she? What is what was motivating her? You know her? what, Jill? I don't know. Like there, because I I really did initially think it was just she didn't believe in it. Mm-hmm. There was a huge disparity between our our financial situation. Her and her husband had plenty of money, and Marcos and I didn't. Mm-hmm. So it got to the point where we could not keep up with the amount of money that was going into the business mm-hmm. that they could. And so we started to borrow money off Claudia 
and her husband and her husband's family actually mm. at 10% interest. Mm. But I think, I think that made her husband more uncomfortable than it did her, but nevertheless, it, you know, I think that was truly the catalyst for the demise of our partnership. So she leaves, what do you do? I have a nervous breakdown. Stop it. No, <laughs> you say that in a joking way, but like no, you still have I, a business, you have a possibility. Um, in hindsight, and actually I don't think I've, I've said this before, in hindsight it ended up being a great thing because I am a firm believer there can only be one true leader in a business. And I think that if Claudia had have stayed on, it would have ultimately been detrimental to Aiden and Anae because we, it's impossible to be aligned on everything. Mm-hmm. And when you have two equal partners, that becomes pretty difficult. Yeah. And so where do you go from that point where you're now essentially on your own? So it's, you know, five years into the mission. Mm-hmm. Got it. You've, is, are you still thinking this is, this? I'm on to something? Yes. Actually... You know, when it was, when the, the split was going on, it was, you know, it was very emotional, obviously. And there were definitely moments where I thought, what am I doing? Can I do this on my own now? I had to try and find money to get her out because I didn't have the money to buy her out. So, you know, I definitely had a moment. And it was my husband who sort of intervened and said, do you believe in this business? Mm. And I said, yeah, 100%. He said, well, then fight for it. Mm. He goes, just, you know, he goes, don't give up now. And I don't think I would have, but there was definitely moments where I was questioning whether or not I should keep going. So how do you go forward from there? Well, I ended up bringing in three different investors to buy out Claudia's share of the business. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial sort of step. And then and then it was just business as usual again. It just sucked because it was only me then. <laughs> so the, wor- the workload doubled for me. But And yeah. what point do you start to say to yourself, this doesn't suck so much, it's actually happening. You get her out, mm-hmm. you buy her out, mm-hmm. you got the money there. But when are you starting to feel more confident? I never didn't feel confident about the business. Mm-hmm. It was overwhelming in terms of the workload coming out because you've got to remember I still had a full-time day job and three children at that point. And then you yeah. like actually had to have another one also. Yes, I did. Oh Glutton for punishment, I mean, right? Four girls. Four girls. Yeah, two teenagers now that are doing my head in. But oh, that's yeah. A other, yeah, that's, that's another block. radio show. Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I never... I never doubted the business and the success, you know, that uh, I was ultimately looking to achieve. When the three people who bought Claudia out Mm -hmm. come into the business, what was your interaction? Were they just passive or were they part of the business? No, they were passive. And that was fine, right? Uh, Yes and no. I would have liked some help. Okay. Um, but their situations didn't allow it, you know, so. So when is it that you feel, like when you brought in that other partner that mm-hmm. came in that you love, the the guys before the bad guys. Sidler equity yeah. partners. When did we bring those guys in? Those guys invested in 2010. I signed the papers on that deal the day after I had my fourth baby. All right. So talk about the private equity and why this was a really important and good 
relationship. Yes, it was a real game changer for for me personally and the business. At the time when they invested in Aiden and A, I wasn't really a private equity opportunity. Mm-hmm. I was still pretty small. I think when they came in, we were going from four and a half million and then projecting to go to 10 mm-hmm. the next year. So we were pretty much a rounding error for the Sidlers in terms of the type of deal. How did they, they come do. to know you? One of my girlfriends who invested when Claudia left, her husband worked for Credit Suisse and he made the introduction. He just said to me, these are the greatest guys I've ever met in private equity. You're probably too small for them, but meet them. They'll they'll probably be able to advise you. So we met, we hit it off instantly. And they, you know, they made an exception, I guess, and invested in Aiden and A when we were teeny tiny in terms of their businesses. And you speak quite glowingly about them in the book. Yes. And and what is it that they brought that was helpful for you as a business owner, besides the money? Right. Which is always nice. Yes, the money definitely helped. They ended up being a real partner, advisors, because I, you know, I'd been flying solo for the most part, trying to work it out as I went along. So it was, was wonderful to have people with that kind of experience on call 24-7, really, as I was building the business. And, and as I said, learning as I, I went along. So they really taught me how to run a successful business. I'm a salesperson, so I was all about that top line revenue. And they explained to me, you know, this is how you create real value in a mm-hmm. in a company like yours. And they, they were just super helpful. It sounds also like they really have like that um, elusive thing, what you hope you get in private equity, which you don't usually get, or at least you don't hear about, which is they sounds like they really helped nurture you and they were a bit like cheerleaders for you. Like you you talk about how like well, you were making some decision and you went to them and they're like, unless you're going to go like buy a corporate jet, don't come to us on this kind of stuff. Exactly. And, they really let me run the business. And, 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 and that they also had so much faith in you and your vision, which is kind of cool. Yes, it and, really is. So they invested 2010. Mm-hmm. Now walk me through to the bad guys. So you had a good marriage and you had to go off and like have well, an affair. Well, I didn't have to. I know. Just I was like a biggest regret. Uh, it was actually the Sidlers, which in itself is an extraordinary thing that they did this. They came to me and said, look, Rags, you're a rocket ship. What you're doing is amazing. But I was still just drawing a very small salary out of the business. I'd taken no money out of the business. Mm -hmm. So they sort of said, have you thought about selling, taking some chips off the table to set you and the the family family up? And then you can roll back in whatever you feel comfortable with because we do believe you're going to continue to scale the business. Mm -hmm. Now, in my naivety, I didn't realise that that was even an option. I just thought once you sold, you sold and that was that. Mm -hmm. And so it was really them coming to me that sort of sparked the, oh, well, that'd be fantastic, you know, if I could put money away for colleges and buy apartments and do all that sort right. of stuff. So so that was really the impetus for selling the business in 2013. And you had a ton of bids. You obviously we had did. some bankers who helped you out and you had a bunch of bids and you whittle it down to nine. That's what I remember. That's right. And, then, uh, and so what are you thinking about 
when you're looking at those nine, mm-hmm. what is it that you're thinking about in real time? I was thinking, are these good people mm-hmm. and are they going to make a good partner? When I eventually did the deal, uh, Swan de Pace, the, the second private equity firm that came in, they weren't the highest bidder. You know, I, it wasn't it wasn't about that. It was I wanted to find Seidler Equity 2.0. Mm-hmm. And so I was looking for that. And I consider myself a very good judge of character. Yeah. So I really effed up on that one. Why do you think that is? Did they present something or did you have a feeling that was a little bit weird that you ignored? Or, you know, it's sort of like dating in that way. It's like you're in this relationship and you're kind of like, this is going great. There is this niggling thing back here, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's rearing its ugly head or I can manage that. Yes. Was there an inkling for you? There was. And I only realized there was an inkling when I was lamenting to a friend about how did I get it so wrong? Because I really do pride myself on being a great judge of character. Mm-hmm. And and it was this friend who said, no, you actually did. You had that moment of, oh gosh, this doesn't feel right, but you ignored it. Mm. You know, So it was obviously when private equity are courting you to buy your company, they're telling you what you want to hear. So you do need to sort of weed through that. These guys, they sped through the deal. So we we were doing, the the sale process was very quick in the scheme of things. It was probably about five months, I guess, from start to finish. And it was happening in December. So we were about to close December 20, we closed December 23rd. And it was a few days prior to that, that I was sitting talking to the lead partner. And he just said something that, you know, every ounce of being in me sort of went, oh, that doesn't sound good. Like, Mm. it was just the way he said it. And, and I remember at the time thinking, oh, these, these might not be the right people. Hmm. But we were so far into the yes. deal process. Yeah, and it's like three weeks before ev- the wedding. Ev- <laughs> right. Everyone was hanging on by a thread because that's the thing. When you're running a process to sell your company, you've got two full-time jobs. Oh, yes. So, And it wasn't just me. I think if it was just me that it was going to affect by pulling the plug at the 11th hour, I would have done it. But I was looking at my team who were hanging on by a thread by that point and everyone was just so eager to get it done before the holidays that I sort of put it down to nerves Mm -hmm. and deal fatigue and went through with it anyway. And so it closed uh, when? December 23rd, 2013. This is Jill on Money. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. Now, you know I am Jill Schlesinger because you're listening to the podcast, right? You may not know that I'm also a certified financial planner. My day job, I'm the CBS News business analyst, and yes, I am your host of this podcast. As we've been saying over the past few weeks, the podcast has a new sponsor, Marcus by Goldman Sachs. Marcus is part of a storied company that's been a leader in financial services for generations. And Marcus offers simple, secure access to FDIC-insured savings products. And that includes a high-yield online savings account that earns four times the national average. Here's a great way to stop complaining that you're earning so little in your other savings accounts. Marcus also offers certificates of deposit, including no-penalty CDs. 
So how about this? Get inspired by your savings account. Start today to help meet your financial goals tomorrow. You can money. Visit Marcus.com. National average data provided by Informa and accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Marcus Deposits products provided by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, member FDIC. And now back to our interview with Reagan Moya Jones. Okay, so now it's 2014. You probably went to Australia. Mm-hmm. You're like doing your body surfing at Bondi Beach or whatever, <laughs> or whatever else you're going to do. So you come back and what happens in this first period where you're you're the boss, mm-hmm. they've made an investment in you, and you're running a business. And how many people are working in the company at that point? I think there was probably about 70 at That's that point. Yeah, we had international, we had offices in Japan, Australia, UK, Canada. So you have the money. Mm-hmm. What do you want to do with this money? Well, first of all, you get your family set, right? And mm-hmm. then you plow money back into the business. That's right. Okay. And now talk about operating a business now with more money. What is it that you were, I mean, you obviously said, here's what I want to do with your money. Mm-hmm. If you invested, what happens at that point? What do you do with the money? It was all about scaling, you know, being able to, to hire people that had expertise in certain areas and um, just the money was going back into the business. So I just want to read one thing that I dog-eared about this. Three months after the sale, the first or should I say second glimmer of trouble with this partner surfaced. And you write, I had made the decision to fire our head of sales because it was clear that we needed someone with a different skill set as the company entered the next stage of growth. And I didn't tell, this is a pseudonym, Chris, before I did it. And you said, had assumed like, hey, this is like the other guys, my partners, they just do your thing. And you say he was furious and he says, and this you quote him, how dare you, he said, you're not allowed to make decisions like that without consulting us. Yes. That had to be like the crucible. That had to be like the moment where you're like, uh-oh, yes. I'm in deep doo-doo. It was. I was livid. And I didn't understand it. They didn't even know this person. It, it just didn't make any sense to me why they would need to be involved in something like that. And what made it even worse is I really, really liked that person. Hmm. You know, lovely, lovely man, really liked him. So it was very difficult for me to let him go. That wasn't an easy decision. So to then be you know, scolded for doing it like a schoolgirl mm. didn't sit didn't well. fly. And so you actually had the cojones uh, <laughs> to to go to Chris and say, like, what are you doing? Right. And how did he react to that? Uh, he actually sort of backtracked mm. and said, "Oh, I did it." And I said, "But every time you speak to me, I feel like a petulant schoolgirl." Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I said. You just wrote a very big check for a company that I built from scratch. So at what point does that actually equate to I might actually know a little bit about what I'm doing? Right. And at that point, I always wonder when I hear conflicts like this, this is not an unusual private equity story, right? I just, people don't talk about it. I think there's shame, embarrassment. I know full well when I tell people that I was fired from my own company that there's an element of, oh, wow, she must have really screwed that yeah, up. Yeah. So at this point, it has hit the fan. It's mm-hmm. all, it's kind of, in your mind, is it all over for you? Are you like, uh oh, I'm dead man walking right then and there? No, definitely not then and there. I actually thought that that having had the conversation 
might change things a little bit. But they didn't. And it just continued to be a very um, stressed relationship from very early on. And they're questioning your board pick and they're saying no to every... And I thought that was interesting. The woman who you had said this person should be on the board seemed incredibly qualified. And she comes back to you and says, I had a conversation with this guy and he's basically... The most unprofessional conversation I've ever had was exactly what she said to me. Mm. And, and I didn't know this woman. We weren't friends. We had been introduced by a, a headhunter mm-hmm. who thought she would make a good board candidate for Aidan and Anae. And so there was no personal relationship. So the fact that she felt compelled to pick up the phone after that call and tell me just how bad it was. And I remember she said to me, I just hope you've got an exit plan and a good lawyer, Reagan. Oh, my God. But at that point, I knew what I was dealing with. I was not remotely shocked by that. You continued to work. You build it up. And at what point were you told that you will no longer be acting as the CEO of the organization? I was told that and by a phone call, by the way, they didn't even bother to come in and sit with me face to face to fire me. Um, They told me that in November 2016. And at that point, the company is still humming along, right? Yeah. Look, there were definitely some hiccups. Right, it's a business. It's a business. It's normal. You know, I'm not sitting here in any way pretending that I didn't make mistakes along the way, but I don't know any CEO that doesn't make mistakes. So Aiden and Anae's revenues continues to grow to this day. It's mm. never gone backwards. Mm. So, yeah, they. I got a phone call and what they exactly said to me is, now we've acquired, because Aiden and I acquired another company, now we've acquired that company. We don't think you're capable of remaining as the CEO now that we're combining the businesses and we need to hire a superstar CEO oh, to do yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Mm. Not the CEO that we bet on originally. Uh-huh. That's what they, This is what's like crazy making, I'm sure. Yes. Uh, and you were the one who flagged this as a potential takeover deal, the company they bought. So it wasn't like they came and said, we've got this great deal. You were the one who did that. I did. I had had my eye on that company for a, even back when the Seidlers were our investors. I had said, if that ever comes up, I think that there'd be some synergy there that I could mm-hmm. do some great things with and you know be a great acquisition. And But at the time that we acquired them, I wasn't on board with it. It's so interesting because from the moment they told you you're no longer the CEO to you actually leaving the company, mm-hmm. there's this this purgatory period, which yes, seems horrifying, exactly what it right? Was. So it's like you're acting CEO because they don't hire anyone for a, a while. How long did it take them? Uh, well, that happened in November and the new CEO came in in, I think it was August. And then it lasted five weeks or yes. something? Ridiculous. Okay. But that period, it's exhausting. So how are you managing this? Who is your who's your go-to person? You got a husband, but it's like, where's your release valve? Well, I couldn't tell anybody in the company. And they'd actually said that. They said, you don't need to be sharing this because it's going to take us some time and, and you're still the CEO until we find the new CEO. And I said, well, what's my role going to be? Well, we can't tell you that. We have to wait. That'll be the decision of the new CEO. I went, well, that's fair. Mm -hmm. Um, So there wasn't really anyone to 
talk to about it. I talked to my sister, mm-hmm. but it was no one on a business like no, you level. don't have a mentor because you can't tell anyone outside of the company. Right, there's no one in the company you really trust because these guys are schmucks. Right, so this is like terrible. And I, I was trying to distance myself a little bit from the team of because course. I knew that I was now tar- a target of their. So I just knew that anybody who was really Team Reagan mm-hmm. could be a could risk. be in. Yes, that's interesting. So, when did you finally get the heave-ho? That was in March of 2018. It's like a year ago. It's unbelievable. You, yeah. Did it, how long did it take you to get through the emotional experience? Okay, because so let me just, uh, for anyone who, before you write in, yeah, she's got a pile of money, but this is like very emotional. Yes. So, I'd, I'd lived and breathed that company for 12 years and to have someone just come in one day and say, yeah, get out. So, how do you get through that period? Wine. How? What kind of wine? Is it some Australian wine? Is it? Do we have to go to the, the southern part of the wine country and uh, and you know south of Sydney? Is that where the wine no, is? No, I, actually, I wasn't that fussy during that time. As long as it was wine, it was enough for me. Oh, two buck uh, chuck. Yeah, exactly. Um, so really, like, how do you? How? I mean, look, every business person, small business person, and now you are like, I would say that's beyond small business, but pretty big business. You go through these periods and. I think it's it's important to talk about, like, there is an emotional toll. I was just talking Absolutely. to a friend of mine who's just gone through a brutal 18 months, and he said to me, you know, until he, – and he finally got fired. He knew he was going to get fired. Right. You, and, you see the writing yeah, on the wall. And he said – he goes, I am not a crier. I just cried from exhaustion. Right. He says, I couldn't believe what I had been carrying around. Yes. So what what advice would you give to people who are going through these kind of really crappy times? This too shall pass yeah. is the best advice. But to be clear, when I did get fired, when the moment actually happened, the first emotion I felt was re- relief. Mm. It was... Oh, God, I don't have to, the charade, the stress, the where do I fit in here, yep. what's going on. There was definitely relief. Mm. Um, then it's sort of, you know, anger, shock, all of those things. And it really did take me most of last year to to get through it. Do you still have money invested in the company? Yes. Oh, my God, that's the worst. The worst. I had that also, and then I walked away from it. Yes. I couldn't stand it. I have to, too. Yeah. Because, look, my hope is that they continue to build the business and sell it and, you know, I get my money and some back. Mm -hmm. But it's a a really crappy place to be in when you've got meaningful money invested in a company that you have – absolutely no saying. If I had have known that there was a chance that I wasn't going to be involved in the business, I would never have written that check back in. And you know what's funny about that? I think that when anyone does a deal like that, and I can speak from firsthand experience, is that the best counsel that you could get in that moment is someone who says, pretend you got fired a year from now. Now what do you want this contract to look like? Right. And that is the thing that I totally wished somebody had said to me. Yes. Right? Like, you're signing all these documents. Now, 
let's look at the worst case scenario. And it, I'll tell you the truth. It's funny. I always look at the worst case scenario because A, I'm Jewish. And B, <laughs> and B because I was, my career began as a trader on Wall Street. And you always look at the downside before the upside, right? right. Where's my risk? I was quite foolish in that respect. And so when I talk to business owners all the time, I would say, and I bet you would say the same thing. Okay, now what's the worst case scenario? Right. What happens if this partnership doesn't go well? Right. Now what? Right. And like you then have a lawyer at the beginning of the deal Mm -hmm. to protect you from that and not at the end of the deal when you really don't have as much power as you'd like to think. Have nothing. And look, and that's why I'm out here. That's why I was brutally honest in the book. Mm-hmm. A, a lot of thing, I uh, something I think that a lot of founders don't do because there's shame around being fired from your own company, and it's just, and then there's the the legalities of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was they. I just refused their severance payment because I didn't want to sign another five year contract where they could sort of non-compete, non-disparagement, all that. So, but I've done this because if I can just help one other founder, entrepreneur, not have to experience what I experienced, then it's worth it. Also, this is like free therapy. You wrote the book, you got it all out there. So, Well, I had written most, I had written the book and then I had to call the publisher and be like, ah, heads up, I just got fired. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that's a better book. They had a, actually, they, uh, well, that's what I said. I said, no, it's going to make for a great last chapter. Oh, but yeah. I had to go back and rewrite the end of the book after I was fired. Oh, my God. All right. So what is next for you? It's 2019. You're on mm-hmm. book tour. But what what gets you moving right now? What, what, what excites you in your work world? Well, I like building things. I realized that. So having started that business at my kitchen table, you know, very scrappy sort of startup as most startups are. I realized that when we had got to the scale that we did at Aiden and A that I wasn't having as much fun. Mm. Now I've been criticized by that for that because that I'm vocal about that because everyone wants us women to sort of get to the top, stay at the top. So some people see that as I guess, a weakness that I didn't like running, but it wasn't about that. I'm not saying I couldn't do it. I just said I didn't enjoy getting out of bed every morning as much as I did in the early stages to do it. Right. So I realized that definitely the the building and the innovative part of starting a business is what I'm truly passionate about. So I've just started another business. Oh, really? What's yeah. that? It's, uh, you're going to laugh hard at this. I am now the co-founder of a premium moonshine company. Okay. I'm all over this. <laughs> Hold on a second. Mark, did you hear that? Premium moonshine company. So okay? when, I, when I bring in the Aiden and an A stuff for you, I'll bring you both in a bottle of uh, St. Luna moonshine. Where is, and where is it distilled? It's distilled in North Carolina. Uh-huh. Our distiller, though, I met in Memphis. It's a fabulous story. It's in the book, but it's a long story, so I won't go into it now. But it was very much a universe moment where he was dropped in front of me at the exact right time, and so now he's our distiller. And he had been working on this moonshine recipe for over a decade hmm. and, you know, said to me, you've I've got the best moonshine. Okay, let's out just there. let's uh, have a definition here. Uh-huh. What is moonshine made of? Well, it's a grain alcohol, right? 
and it sort of came about during Prohibition yes. and the reason that it became such a high alcohol content was because it was not being made in controlled environments. It was being made in the woods. You right, know, and in, in a, the bathtub. In a barrel. In a, yes. Yeah. So that was sort of the, the start of moonshine. And so what we wanted to do was take moonshine as it's known now as that sort of very high alcohol basic mason jug mm-hmm. sort of liquor and turn it into something high end that no one's ever seen before and our goal is to have it in five star restaurants and the best cocktail bars and how would i drink that to sound cool like in your mind if you're like jill this is how you order this drink well, what is it i'm not a liquor drinker i'm oh. a champagne and wine girl which is a good thing because if we started a champagne company we'd be screwed all right I'd i got be drinking it. the profits uh-huh but um we are really trying to tell people and show people that you can drink this straight. It's a sipping moonshine. Okay. It's a good friend of mine who drinks super dry Tanqueray 10 martinis. Mm -hmm. When he tried it, he said to me, oh, Reagan, this is like gin and tequila had a baby. Wow. (laughs) All right. It's a a very interesting flavor and we're super excited about it. We've already won two medals. We won a gold medal at the San Diego World Spirit Competition a few weeks back and a silver medal at the San Francisco World Spirit Competition. So it's a great, great product. And we're already in Jean-Georges restaurants here and employees only. We're on their cocktail menus. So and you're soon to be in the um, the Jill on Money liquor cabinet, which yes, is very exciting. Absolutely. Mark and I do tend to, well, he likes wine. He he and I do like amber liquors. So we like our bourbons and our ryes and our scotches. But heck, you like this. I had a nice Tanqueray uh, 10 on the rocks last night at a benefit. Well, this is a form of whiskey, mm-hmm. like moonshine. It's a it's a white whiskey for all no, intents right. and purposes. But this is the the what Scott's come up with is a molasses and rye, but it's charcoal filtered, super smooth. Full okay. disclosure: I've drunk half a bottle and woken up the next day just fine. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's I'm in, really. Good. I'm intrigued. Okay, before we let you go, mm-hmm. first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Congratulations on the success of this company that was pulled out underneath you, mm-hmm. but it's still there, and God bless. It is. It's still there. has my daughter's name on it. Exactly. So Couple questions before we finish up. Claudia, friends or not friends? Oh no! I, from the day she sent that email, I had n- I've never spoken a word. Oh to her my again. god! I want to put you guys in the room together. Can we all go to therapy? No. I'll be your shrink. <laughs> I want you guys to be friends again. Think there's too much water oh. under that bridge. All right. This so is, no, okay. never again since she pressed send on that email. Um. Not my choice. I desperately. I said, "Can we talk about this?" But she's done. She was done. Mm, okay, that was sad for me. All right. Uh, you made a great investment. If that was the best, was the worst the sale to oh, the... that's the 100%. worst. That's, that's your worst pro- financial... That's that's the worst decision I've ever made in my life. Mm. Forget financial or it mm. was just a well, very, very bad decision. Well, I am sorry for that. Now, let's also finish up on a high note, which is these four kids, they're doing great, right? Uh, yeah, two of them are teenagers, so they have their moments. <laughs> As I tell you, I like the four-legged children that I have. They're yes. really much easier. Oh, I have two of them too. What kind? Bichon poodles. Oh, very fancy and foofy. Oh, well, yeah. Are you excited for this next phase? You seem very pumped up. So it's like this is an interesting time that I'm talking to you because yes. it's like a... 
uh, you know, sort of this new period. It seems like a lot of, I mean, you have to talk about the past quite a bit, but once you get off book tour, it'll be with you, but it won't be you. Right. Right? Exactly. That's a perfect way to describe it. It is therapeutic. It's out there now. It's scary because it's a very raw, real book. Mm. I don't hide behind anything. So to put yourself that far out there is a bit nerve-wracking. I think it's great. And I tell you what, um, I think that as a also a former woman business owner, mm-hmm. I'm a current woman, but a former business <laughs> owner, I really do appreciate that when you say, you know, I know that I'm supposed to want da-da-da-da-da. You know, I don't know if whether that's a male or female thing, but I think it's really good to know what you want. Right. What? Why is that a bad thing? To me, that's like a really great gift of all of this, which is, hey, you know what? I don't want to run a mature company. That's not what I want to do. Right. And I don't want to be the person, I like doing this, so I'm going to do that. Right. And thank God you have a, enough money in the bank. The kids are going to go to college. It's all going to be good. Right. So your kids will be the first generation on your side to attend college. Yes. Because you didn't. No. Did your sister go? No. Oh, my God. My sister left school at 15. Come on. Mm-hmm. My God, I got to meet her, too. She's right. amazing. Is she right. in New York also? She she was here for three years. She worked with me at Aiden and Nay. She was the one who started the Australian business for me. So she built that up to a multi-million dollar business. Well, when too. she comes back into town, we'll drink some moonshine All together. right. That, it's a date. All right. For sure. Thank you so much for joining Thanks us. Thanks for having me, Jill. Thanks to Reagan Moya Jones for joining us. Remember, we drop new episodes of the podcast every Tuesday and Thursday, and sometimes a bonus one on Friday, too. You can subscribe to Jill on Money on Apple, Stitcher, Radio.com, Google Play, anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to get on the program with us, just send us an email. Ask Jill at JillOnMoney.com. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Talercio is our executive producer. We're distributed by Cadence 13, and the show is presented by Marcus by Goldman Sachs. See you next week.